time keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you on this Ember Friday, December the 16th. 2022. Praise be to God. Good morning to you. Hopefully you're going to have a great weekend. I mean, you have survived the week so far. So uh, there's some good news, you know, and uh, it's going to be a beautiful day where we are. I don't know what the weather is like in your neck of the woods, but nonetheless, you're going to be in our prayers. Uh, Lots to cover today. We saw through our good friend David O'Gray, he put out a video last night and LifeSide News put out an article on it. There is a California parish who is asking their parishioners to sign a waiver before they are allowed to receive Holy Communion, kneeling in on the tongue. <clears throat> uh, yeah, we're going to get into that at 15 past the hour. Uh, don't you worry. Iran, what's really going on there? E. Michael Jones is back on the program at 35 past the hour to talk about that. Dave Palmer is going to be on the top of the next hour uh, from uh, Back to the Father. What did Thomas Aquinas teach about Christmas, the nativity? All that and more from the Summa Theologica, if you can join us in our second hour. Lots of stories in the news, of course. I just saw this one this morning. It says, a new study in a peer-reviewed journal. The Heidelberg University researchers have found that in standardized autopsies of 25 patients without any pre-existing illness, they found uh, these people died unexpectedly at their homes uh, after 20 days after the vaccination. Uh, They found that uh, five of these 25 had cardiac uh, myocarditis. Uh, This is a peer-reviewed journal. That's pretty crazy. The National Archives on Thursday released thousands of documents from the 1963 assassination of President John F. Kennedy. However, both Donald Trump and Biden have held back thousands more documents. They state, you know, national security, even though everybody involved is Long, long since passed on. So what's going on there? The Biden administration's Justice Department on Wednesday sued Arizona Republican Governor Doug Ducey and his administration for apparently trying to put up their own border wall. Not allowed to keep people out, I guess. El Paso, speaking of which, was hit by 255 percent increase in migrant and encounters as Title 42 nears its end. These migrants are now uh, facing freezing weather and uh Let's pray that nobody dies of, uh, of the increasing cold that they're dealing with. Good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Good morning, Joe. And as the duly elected representative mm-hmm. of California, mm-hmm. everything California, liturgical, yeah. uh, political. Oh, don't, don't you worry. Uh, all of, everything mm-hmm. about California, I will, make mm-hmm. sure, I will make sure I take care of that next week <laughs> oh, when yeah. I go visit. Uh-huh. I they're, promise you uh-huh. I'm working on it. Yeah, they're going to let you in. They, they're yes. gonna, They're going to. You have your visa. You got your passports. Your oh, you already signed your documents, so you can kneel for communion. Yeah, absolutely. I have that. Yeah, Immunizations are up to date. That one. You got all that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got mm-hmm. my mask. You know, yeah. I kept it from last Sound, year. Fi- signed your waiver. Signed the waiver. Yeah. Uh, what okay. else do I need here? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, they're going to make me pay California taxes to come in. And, <laughs> <laughs> oh, imagine if that was true. Catch. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> We've noticed you've been away for a year or two. Um, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we have a little bill for you to pay. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, just send it to uh, Governor. Uh, it's your part. 
Governor Abbott's office. <laughs> Governor Abbott's <laughs> office. Good morning to you, Adrian Fonseca. Good morning. Howdy, howdy. Praise be to God. It's good to be here. Is it? It is. Praise be to God. In spite of I all. was surprised, yes, despite the fact that I just found out today, mm-hmm. I was today years old whenever I found out that uh, California, every parish of California didn't require that already. <laughs> I was under the assumption that that's what it was. So really? I'm happily surprised that it's only one parish. Oh, there, there you go. You know what? Leave it to Adrian Fonseca to find the bright side of the story. <laughs> See, that, isn't that isn't that great, guys? Uh-huh. Is it just no. a California thing? It, the uh, but you know, thank you everybody who were praying for my for my grandma. Uh, but the the only thing is, mm-hmm. yesterday I get to my great grandmother's house, mm-hmm. and then eleven o'clock comes, and the priest calls, and it's like. Um, yeah, I was starting to cough, so uh, I don't want to get your, oh, your great-grandmother no. sick, considering how old she is, and she's not currently dying, so we're going to have to reschedule. So we didn't get to, get to do it. So thank you, everybody, for your Thanks. prayers. Uh, please continue to pray for her. We She was very lucid yesterday. It was really nice to hear her uh, speaking and talking, and it was really, Better really very Get a priest over there while she is lucid. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, so please keep praying for her that she uh, stays lucid whenever uh, we get a priest coming to see her. But uh, thank you, everybody, for your prayers nonetheless. Amen, yeah. Hey, don't forget, today in the CDT Insider email list, I'm going to be hitting you up. I'm going to be giving away a free copy of that Holy Mass Lego book, which is beautiful and it's deep and rich. It's got great, authentic Catholic teaching in it. It's not. Uh, it's not gonna you know pull any punches. It's going to be really, really good stuff and beautiful and entertaining for your kids. You could win a copy. All you got to do is be on our email list. I'll send you the instructions later today. Go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt to sign up for the insider email list. That's grn online.com forward slash C-D-T. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, Despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now your headlines with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to Catholic Drive Time. And pat yourself on the back today, my friend. It is Friday. You made it. December 16th. Here are your headlines this morning. Ground News reports National Archives releases thousands of documents on JFK assassination. Make sure and go go and get your uh, tinfoil right now, and uh, I'll tell you about this story. Many of the remaining documents are said to be extremely sensitive, according to reports from an, uh, uh, from earlier this year. The CIA holds 70% of the remaining documents, while the FBI controls 23%, the report said. Biden stated on Thursday that he released more than 70% of the records, but a limited number of records still remain subject to review and were not included in the release. It's unclear how many records were withheld. LifeSite News reports historic 12.5 million pilgrims visit Our Lady of Guadalupe Shrine in Mexico. In a December 13th statement, the Mexico City Government Secretariat said the Mexican capital received 12.5 million pilgrims at the Basilica of Guadalupe. This number, the agency stated, broke the record for visitors. The Basilica of Guadalupe is the most visited Marian sanctuary in the world and even exceeds the number of pilgrims to Vatican City. Traditionally, more than 10 million pilgrims begin to arrive in the Mexican capital in the first few days of December from different corners of the country, in many cases walking. Once in the Marian shrine, the devotees contemplate and pray before the image that miraculously appeared on the Tilma of St. Juan Diego on December 12, 1531. 
Just the News reports, FBI arrests Chinese national for allegedly stalking anti-communist activists. Saying today the FBI, today the FBI arrested Zhao Lei Wu for repeated, repeatedly threatening and infringing on the rights of a civic activist who spoke out against the ruling Communist Party of China. Continuing, they say, We believe Mr. Wu stalked, harassed, and reported the victim's support for democracy to law enforcement in the People's Republic of China so that it would launch an investigation into the victim and her family, unquote. And the Daily Wire reports Biden administration sues Arizona Governor Doug Ducey for shipping container border wall. The legal move follows Ducey's executive order in August directing the state's Department of Emergency and Military Affairs to begin a Yuma County project. The 3,820 feet of the previously opened border was closed with 130 shipping containers in just 11 days. Wow, we should probably uh, do that across the whole border. And those are your headline news this morning. God love you. The saint of the day is Blessed Sebastian Maggi. Born in 1414 at Brescia, Italy, he lived in a colorful and troubled age, the time of Savonarola. He was, in fact, a friend of the friar of Ferrara, which is Savonarola, and always staunchly defended him. Sebastian entered the Dominican order at Brescia as soon as he was old enough. His early years were remarkable only for his devotion to the rule, but for the purity of his life and the zeal with which he enforced religious observance. He was superior of several houses of the order and finally was made vicar of the Reformed Congregation of Lombardy, which made him the superior of Jerome Savonarola, the dynamic reformer around which whom a tragic storm was brewing. Perhaps if Sebastian Maggi had lived, he might have saved Savonarola from the political entanglements that sent him to his death. Sebastian was his confessor for a long time and always testified in his favor when anyone attacked the reformer's personal life. It is hard to say just when he stood politically or where he stood politically in the long and complex series of events concerning the separation of Lombard province from the province of Italy, but all that has been written of him conveys the same impression. He was a kind and just superior who kept the rule with rigid care, but was prudent and exacting of it in others. Several times, Sebastian Maggi was sent on missions of reform, and he died on one of these. On his way to a convent for visitation, he became ill at Genoa and died there in 1496. His body is incorrupt at the present time, and this biography was written in 1963, so incorrupt in 1963. Died, he died in 1496 at Genoa, Italy of natural causes. He was beatified on April 15th, 1760 by Pope Clement XIII. Blessed Sebastian Maggi, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from John chapter 5, verses 33 through 36. Jesus said to the Jews, You sent emissaries to John, and he testified to the truth. I do not accept testimony from a human being, but I say this so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and for a while you were content to rejoice in his light. But I have testimony greater than John's. The works that the Father gave me to accomplish, these works that I perform testify on my behalf, that the Father has sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. 
Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It's Cornelius Lapide Friday. Adrian, anything? Yes, Cornelius Lapide had a, a lot to say today. Uh, hopefully, we have about 30 minutes to get through it all. Yeah. But let's, so let's see. Cornelius Lapide, first and foremost, he talks about this idea that John was sent beforehand and that the people accepted John. They listened to him. They wanted to know if he was a Messiah. But John answers them and says, nope, I'm not the Messiah. And no, instead, this guy over here. That's the Messiah. And then people are like, eh, I don't know about that. So it's interesting because Cornelius Lapide here says, but I receive not. I do not require the witness of John for I am God and the son of God to whom John, Moses and the prophets ought to yield and be taught by and receive authority from. But this I say that ye may be saved. I do not need the testimony of man for I am God. But since John, whom ye admire as a prophet, is of so great authority with you, when ye did not believe me working miracles, I bring back to your remembrance his testimony that I may draw and save you. So he's basically saying, look, I'm the king himself, and yet you don't believe me. So I'm going to tell my messenger for some reason that you respect my messenger more than you respect the king. And I'm going to go and I'm going to cite him. Because I am being charitable to you, not because out of justice or out of some reason that I need to cite him, but because I love you and I want to draw you to myself, I will condescend and cite a lower source than myself, who is God himself. The next thing that's important is this idea of John as the lamp. In John chapter 1 in the prologue, he said, This man came for a witness to give testimony to the light, that all all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but was to give testimony of the light. That was the true light, which enlighteneth every man that cometh into the world. What is this saying? This is saying that John is not the light, light. He is the shining lamp. He is the shining lamp. And what's contained within John, who is the lamp, is Christ. Because Christ is a light. And Cornelius Lapide says, he teaches that the holy men and preachers ought to first to burn with charity and zeal in themselves before they shine it and preaching to others. John was a burning and shining lamp. It does not say shining and burning because the brightness of John sprang from his fervor, not his fervor from splendor. For there are some who do not shine because they burn, but rather they burn in order that they may shine. But these plainly do not burn with the spirit of charity, but with love of vanity. So Alkin says, John was a lamp enlightened by light from Christ, burning with faith and love, shining in word and action, who was sent before to confound the enemies of Christ. So think today, am I a light? Am I a lamp shining forth the light of Christ? If not, let's be a lamp like John to shine that light of Christ. Amen. Praise be to God. We're coming up after this talk about this California parish requiring waivers to receive communion. What's going on? All that and more is up next. We'll be right back. Protestants like to use James 2, 10 through 11 against the Catholic doctrine of mortal and venial sin. Because James says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. But James can't be denying the doctrine of mortal and venial sin because in 115 he affirms it saying that sin in its beginning stages doesn't bring death, venial sin, whereas it does in its more mature stages, mortal sin. The point James is making in James 2:10 through 11 is that we must keep all the commandments in order to avoid incurring the guilt of transgressing the law. We can't say to the Lord on Judgment Day, Lord, I only broke one commandment but kept the other nine. 
So James 2, 10 through 11 is simply a misfire in trying to take down the Catholic belief of mortal and venial sin. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Years ago, when I started acting, modeling, and singing in Mexico, my Catholic faith was not the center of my life. It took me many years to discover that success, fame, money, and all the pleasures of the world were not going to fulfill me. I got to a point in my life where I thought I had everything, but I realized something was missing. Thankfully, I began a faith journey that brought me back to God and the home to the Catholic Church. You can too. Discover more at CatholicsComeHome.com. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClay. So good to be on with you. Coming up at 35 past the hour, E. Michael Jones is going to be on. He, got, he has an article over at Culture Wars. The Magi, the hijab crisis, and Iran's divided soul. We're going to talk to E. Michael Jones about that at 35 past the hour. Do join us if you can, and I'd be grateful if you could share us with a friend. But there are uh, lots of stories in the news that are of great concern to me, and I'm sure they are to you as well. And this one I uh, saw yesterday. Our good friend David O'Gray put out a video on it. LifeSite News has an article. I'm sharing my desktop, Adrian. And I saw this article this morning, and college you is, the train has, has not only left the station, it's left the tracks for crying out loud. Here's the headline. California Parish requires Catholics to sign waiver before receiving communion kneeling. Let that sink in. Let that ruminate a little bit. They want their parishioners to sign a waiver before they can receive uh, uh, Holy Communion on the tongue while kneeling. So this is what the article says. A Catholic parish in the Diocese of San Bernardino is requiring parishioners to sign waivers before receiving Holy Communion kneeling, a move that may violate church law. I don't know, you think? Golly gee whiz. What could go wrong? Article goes on to say, St. Kateri Tekakwitha Catholic Community in Beaumont and Banning, California, announced a rule in a bulletin for the week of December the 18th, 2022. The bulletin notes that the parish highly discouraged the receiving of communion while kneeling down due to unspecified incidents that happened in the past caused by people kneeling down when receiving communion. The parish church does not have communion rails or kneelers to assist you when you get up, and so you will be responsible for any harm that will that will cause to your body, or to the ministers and people around you if you will have an accident, the bulletin adds. Going on to say, if you would like to continue receiving communion kneeling down, we ask that you sign a waiver that releases our parish for any liability that may arise due to your action. Hmm. God, you is. Do they, I'm just curious, off the top of my head, just popped in my head just right now. Do they require a waiver in case someone chokes on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Holy uh, Eucharist? I mean, because that could happen kneeling, standing, uh, running, I mean, maybe running back to their pew. I have no idea. But either way, it's possible that that could happen. So do they require waivers for that? Mm, Probably not. Just the folks that want to kneel, I'm guessing. Article goes on to say, quote, you may be also legally responsible, it continues, for any harm that your action may cause to the ministers or the people around you when taking communion kneeling down, which was the standard practice of the Catholic Church for centuries up until the 1960s. 
The recommendation against receiving the Eucharist while kneeling is, quote, for your safety and the safety of our ministers and the people around you, also to protect the sanctity of the body and blood of Christ. Close quote. The bulletin further stated this. Is it is there that many issues, that many incidents? I'm just really curious. I mean, how many how many incidents have there been as a result of people getting hurt because people are kneeling, receiving communion? Uh, I've, I guess, so let's see, let me count them up. Um, I've never heard of a single one, but that doesn't mean they don't happen, I guess. They, they must be a, like a real problem there at this particular parish. The article also says the parish failed to note, however, that reception of the Holy Eucharist in the hand inevitably risks particles of the host falling to the floor and being trampled, a situation decried by Bishop Athanasius Schneider, as well as many others, and uh, is one of the, quote, grievous phenomenons and evils within the church, close quote. You know, there is a fantastic video by our good friend Gabriel Castillo. We've talked about this video before. I think we've even shared it before. And maybe I'll link to it in today's CDT Insider email. He does a fantastic job of really demonstrating why this is a real problem, why there are particles of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who end up on your hands, on the floor, they just, they just get ignored. And you're like, but Joe, they're just particles. Like, what's the big deal? The big deal is it's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and it's every particle. It's not some particles. It's not the whole. It's, it's every single particle that uh, our Lord is present in. And we have an obligation due to justice to give God what is due to him, to be reverent, to be intentional, and to be respectful, and to make sure that we are doing all in our power to prevent the abuse of this, which is why kneeling on the tongue is such a great idea, and the patent under your chin is even a better idea in order to safeguard. And then you got the, the whole the cloth over the rail is like a backup. It's like redundant systems to try to ensure that we've done all we can to not take this lightly or for granted. The article goes on to say, uh, the parish, uh, again, failed to note that. But the Catholic Church teaches dogmatically that every particle of the Holy Eucharist contains the entire body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. St. Kateri Tekakwitha's parish waiver requirement, moreover, appears to violate church law. The Vatican instruction, Redemptionis uh, Sacramentum, stresses that priests may not deny the Eucharist to Catholics in good standing who wish to receive the Blessed Sacrament kneeling. Therefore, it is not licit to deny Holy Communion to any of Christ's faithful solely on the grounds, for example, that the person wishes to receive the Eucharist kneeling or standing. The document invokes Canon 843 of the Code of Canon Law, which states sacred ministers cannot deny the sacraments to those who seek them at appropriate times, are properly disposed, and are not prohibited by law from receiving them. The general instruction of the Roman Missal, the, the Grem, also makes clear that the faithful may receive communion kneeling without impediment. Church leaders known for their orthodoxy of praise reception of the Eucharist kneeling and on the tongue as most reverent form of taking communion. Cardinal Robert Seurat, 
the former head of the Vatican's Congregation for the Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments, has said that receiving communion, kneeling, and on the tongue is, quote, much more suited to the sacrament itself and a further act of adoration and love that each of us can offer to Jesus Christ, close quote. His comments echo those of other previous Vatican liturgy chiefs, including Cardinal Antonio uh, Lovera, Cardinal Seurat also uh, has linked the reception of the Eucharist standing and in the hand to a diabolical attack on the Catholic faith. He noted that Pope St. John Paul II himself forced his broken body to kneel for Holy Communion, even in his advanced age. I think that's very powerful. Now, you might say, but Joe, there are elderly, there are people with disabilities, they can't kneel. It's so hard for them to kneel. Getting up and getting down would be incredibly difficult, and they might have the accidents. Yeah, true, true enough. I know in our parish uh, that is true. We see people who cannot physically kneel. I don't see anybody give them a hard time, ever, under any circumstances. No one speaks a word to them about that. In court, quite the opposite, just this past Sunday, I was uh, taken by the fact that I saw a young man helping an elderly woman to the kneeler. She wanted to kneel, so he helped her. He helped her kneel. He helped her rise. It was beautiful. It was a corporate work of mercy. It was charity, and it was beautiful to see that this person saw someone in need and came to their need. I've seen many people at our parish. I go to a TLM, uh, kneel, uh, altar rails, the whole thing. I've seen many elderly people or disabled people not kneel. They stand at the altar rail, and Father doesn't say a word to them, gives them communion on the tongue. These things are possible. So it seems quite bizarre to me, bizarre to me that we're going to create some rule that, that isolates, that segregates, that divides the Catholic faithful based on those who want to kneel and those that don't. That, this division isn't happening in traditional parishes why is it happening in non-traditional parishes? Adrian? Yeah, the other thing about this is, you know, I've told this story before. Whenever I was in college, I was uh, I went to my, my first TLM, and it was a, a low mass, and I had never been before, so I had no idea what was going on. I didn't even know mass had started because everything said quietly by the priest, and so I was really confused. And I was sitting behind my professor, Dr. Theodore Rebard, which if you listen to the show regularly, he's been on twice with us, and he was uh, kneeling in front of me. And I was like, man, we've been kneeling for a long time. And my legs started hurting. And I was like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down. And I look forward and I see, and I was 21 at the time. Now I'm an old man, you know. And, uh, <laughs> the, and I always look forward and I see Dr. Rebard kneeling there. And Dr. Rebard walks with a, with a cane. He's had both his kneecaps replaced. He's had surgery on like every part of his body. Very, very, uh, had just done when we speak ill of Dr. Rebar, but not in best health, let's just say. And I saw him kneeling yeah. for the entirety of yeah. mass and then go up and kneel on the, mm-hmm. uh, on the front to receive communion. I was like, well, if he can do it, I guess I can suck yeah, it up right. and do it. So I, I sat there and I knelt the, for yeah. during mass and I, I, all that to say, um, 
Same thing with my grandfather. My grandfather is very old now. He's, uh, he's, well, I guess not that old, but he is, his bad legs, he has mm. bad knees, a lot of surgery, uh, some cancer. And so, uh, and I see him, he'll go up, he'll hobble over to the, to the altar rail, he can barely pick his legs up, but then he'll, he'll kneel at the altar rail and my grandma will help him get up, help him get down, but he wants to kneel at the altar rail. And I think that's amazing and very encouraging. And obviously I'm not saying that if you can't kneel, you, you should kneel. I'm saying that there's this heroic witnesses of people who do this and, and nobody judges people for not doing it or doing it, yeah. but it's so heroic and exactly. so encouraging yeah. to see it. Yeah, and this a story is obviously very troubling. Kind of reminds me of uh, what is it in twenty twenty we saw parishes isolate folks that were vaccinated and not vaccinated. You know, the, the unvaxxed people had to sit in a special section where they couldn't contaminate anybody else. Apparently, uh, they couldn't receive uh, confession or holy communion or other things. Uh, we've seen this division already now uh, several times in several states around the United States and in, of course, overseas. So this is just one more in the long line of really insane things that we are seeing happening within the church, a further division that there need not be one. There need not be any division in this regard. And if there is elderly people at this parish who want to kneel, but because of their physical disabilities uh, would have a hard time, then potentially maybe you could ask the Knights of Columbus to step up and provide ushers to assist these people to uh, to kneel. Yeah, meet them where they're at. Meet them where they're at. Journey with them. Smell like the sheep a little bit, you know. Go to the fringes and, and find these folks that are that are trying to walk the walk and help them. You know, but I don't know, and I highly doubt that there's people at this parish who are forcing these people to kneel. I'm sure it's because they want to versus being forced to. So this is a personal desire of theirs, and Holy Mother Church has allowed for it. Then why are we going to isolate that? And where's the bishop on this issue? It seems rather strange to me that this would be allowed to happen. This, these types of things should not be allowed to happen. They need to be put an end to. This is dividing the body. This is not uniting the body. And uh, it's really, really disturbing to say the least. So let's pray that this gets reversed pretty quickly. Let's pray the bishop steps up and takes action here. Uh, I don't know if he will or not, uh, but I hold Rudy absolutely responsible for all things that happen in California. So, sir, on your vacation next week, I'm going to expect that you're going to visit this parish. I, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's supposed mm-hmm. to be a vacation, but I guess I'll do a little bit of work. Uh, well, that'll be the first. All right. <laughs> praise be to God. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Hey, coming up after the break, Rudy's going to give us the headlines. And then E. Michael Jones is back on. We're going to be talking about his article over at CultureWars.com. The Magi, the hijab crisis, and Iran's divided soul. All that and next. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. G.K. Chesterton says that it is in the old Christmas carols that date from the Middle Ages that we find not only what makes Christmas poetic and soothing and stately, but what makes it exciting. The exciting quality of Christmas rests upon a great paradox that the power and center of the whole universe may be found in something very small, a baby in a manger. And it's extraordinary to notice how completely this paradox of the manger was lost by the brilliant theologians, but was kept in the Christmas carols. The songs recall the main point of the story, that God once ruled the universe from a stable, and that the hands that made the stars were too small 
to reach the huge heads of the cattle. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgiani. And I'm Adam Bly. We're the hosts of The Spirit World every Saturday morning on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join us as we help answer your questions on angels, demons, and how the physical and spiritual worlds interact. That's The Spirit World from the Station of the Cross Studios every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And now, here's a couple more headlines for you. Ground News reports several prominent journalists covering Elon Musk suspended from Twitter. Twitter suspended the accounts of journalists who cover the social media platform and its new owner, Elon Musk. Among them, reporters working for The New York Times, The Washington Post, CNN, Voice of America, and other publications. The company hasn't explained to the journalists why it took down their accounts. But Musk took to Twitter yesterday night to accuse journalists of sharing private information about his whereabouts that he described as basically assassination coordinates. Among those accounts, one of them happened to be tracking his flight information. So uh, I guess he's not wrong. CNA reports city council wants to use $100,000 worth of COVID funds for out-of-state abortions. The bishop calls that outrageous. The ordinance which is on the city's agenda for December 20th, that's convenient, redirects $100,000 worth of federal COVID relief funding for the provision of abortion-related logistical needs. The money would go to support the pro-abortion group, the Agnes Reynolds Haxon Fund, which has a mission of making abortion easy to access through funding. Bishop Daniel Thomas of Toledo, Ohio, urged all people of goodwill to join him in opposing the ordinance by making their voices heard to the city of the council. The city council, rather. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. Praise be to God in all things. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. Don't forget to join our email list today. I'm giving out prizes. I'll send you the instructions in the e-blast. It'll hit your inbox later today. You can sign up on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. That's grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Get in on the fear or not the fear and trimming. That's next hour. That's a, that's a different prize. No, the insider email list, again, on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Joining us right now is E. Michael Jones. Uh, CultureWars.com is his website. He's got a great article over there called The Magi, The Hijab Crisis, and Iran's Divided Soul. Good morning to you, E. Michael Jones. Good morning, Rudy. Good to see you. Uh, we're grateful for you being on our program today. Uh, I went through your article. It's a very good article, and it gives us some good context and background. I want to I want to set up this uh, this conversation first with I've felt for a very long time now that United States foreign war, uh, foreign policy and foreign war regime change policy has been just insane. And it goes back so many, many years, uh, even going back to the middle of World War II, sending people into Vietnam to train Ho Chi Minh. And it goes back even before that, of course. Uh, but I see, like, and I think you're seeing it too, in Iran, America has been really meddling with the affairs there for a long time. Give us your take. Yeah, well, it was the beginning of uh, psychological warfare, the beginning of the the, the rise of the CIA. Uh, it all began in Iran. So 1953, uh, Mossadegh was a popularly elected president whose main uh, task was to make, make sure that the Iranians profited from the oil revenues uh, from their country rather than the British petro petroleum. 
for his pains, he was uh, basically overturned by one of the first psychological warfare operations. Let's say the first psychological warfare operation. Kermit Roosevelt went there, orchestrated a huge press campaign, uh, tried to turn public opinion against him, put the Shah on the throne. And it was a great triumph for psychological warfare, uh, but it was a catastrophe for American relations because it got them in the business of basically uh, running Iran. So they put the Shah in power. He's a westernizer. He's a close friend of the Rockefellers, uh, interested in population control, everything the Rockefellers are interested in. And he offends the basically religious sensibilities of the country so much that in 1979, they overthrow that government. What happened here is basically the reverse engineering of what happened in 1953. Now it was the Islamic fundamentalists, the Ayatollah Khomeini mobilized them. Uh, but we're talking about people who were really not part of Iranian culture. And that's one of the important things you have to know about this. He, the Ayatollah Khomeini had uh, Syed Qutb, he's the head of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, had his book translated into Farsi. And as a result, you had the imposition now of another type of regime on Iran that was in many ways just as alien uh, as, the, as the CIA regime that got imposed in 1953. That's the Islamic Republic. That was, came into power in 1979. It's in power to this day. Uh, but the problem here is that it ran out of steam. 1989 is when uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini died. He's replaced by the new supreme leader, the Ayatollah Khomeini, who then, uh, looking at the situation, makes a fateful decision. He introduces birth control into Iran. They had a population growth rate of seven to eight children per eight, uh, per seven to eight children per family. Wow. Now it plummets to the biggest drop in in history, and now he's got a problem because basically what he's done is turn all of these women who are wearing the hijab, they're still wearing this traditional Muslim costume, turn them into feminist revolutionaries by introducing birth control. And that weak spot is something that is well known to the CIA. And that's what they've been trying to do, use ever since to basically overthrow this government. Now, we're, we're obviously having this conversation in context of the ongoing protests that are happening in Iran over the hijab, but I think it's the backstory, it's the, uh, the greater context in your article that I found most fascinating. Uh, the, can you talk about the conflict between Arab, the Arab world and, and the Persian world? It seems like the Persian culture has really been on the brink of extinction thanks to the pressures of the Arab world. Well, no, it hasn't. That's the interesting part about this. So... In the middle of the 7th century, uh, it's kind of a fluke. You have this, the Persian Empire, which has been in existence for about a 1,000 years at that point, uh, conquered by a bunch of Arabs. Uh, nobody knew who they were. They're this tribe in the middle of the Arabian Peninsula. They've been energized by this national epic, which is called the Koran, and they just ended up conquering the Persians kind of by, by fluke. It was kind of a fluke. You know, it's the way battles are sometimes. So what happened is a huge crisis for Persian culture because you have this uh, new religion, uh, Islam, imposed on them. And for two centuries, they don't say anything. <laughs> There's total silence. Uh, they are stunned. 
And then finally, they start to emerge. They come back. The Persian culture emerges. The main, the significant factor here is that the Persians never gave up their language. The, all of North Africa, for the most part, except for the Berbers, all gave up uh, uh, their, their language. Nobody speaks Egyptian in Egypt anymore. They all speak Arabic. This did not happen to the Persians. And as a result, they were able to preserve their culture. The basis of ethnic identity is language. And Farsi is the vehicle of that language. And so what happened here in the face of this crisis, where basically you had complete repression of philosophical thought under the caliphs, they turned to poetry. I just did a book called The Dangers of Beauty, which is the thesis of the book is oftentimes the artist can portray what the philosopher cannot explain. And oftentimes the philosopher can't explain something because it's too dangerous. Uh, this is what happened to one Persian philosopher after another. He got too close to the son of the, the caliph and he gets his head chopped off. So they've reverted to poetry and poetry preserves this, the, far, the language, Farsi, the Persian language, and it preserved Persian identity in a way that was not typical of the countries conquer, conquered by the, by the Arabs. And this is true to this day. So I was in in the Golestan. I met with uh, the Ayatollah Shahrut. Uh, I, I don't know what we're going to talk about. Walk in. The first thing he wants to talk about is the Saudis. Now, uh, the Saudis are an alien influence. They are not true Islam. What you see for for fifteen hundred years now, they have not resolved this this crisis. And so the, po the point I I'm I'm saying is that what we see now as the Islamic Republic is in many ways uh, uh, the pendulum swing uh, from westernization to Islamic fundamentalism and back again. And that's the problem. The pendulum swings back and forth, and you, it never lands in the mean, the golden mean, which is Persian identity, uh, which is, in a sense, kind of both, but kind of neither. Yeah. Uh, so we're stuck between choosing the Saudi view of things or the uh, foreign intelligence uh, view of things. And we don't really understand. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I don't think I truly understand what it, to, how to look at Iran properly because, again, we're only given two lenses. Yeah, and I think that the, the paradigm that I brought up, which is apropos for the season, is the Magi. Now, the, these were the first three non-Hebrews to see uh, the Logos incarnate were Persians or part of the Persian Empire. And how did they how did they come to how did they come to, to see the logos incarnate? Well, they they studied the logos of the universe. They were astronomers. Uh, they were philosophers. You're talking about a period when my my ancestors. I've said this before, but in my ancestors in Germany were chasing pigs through the forest, and they are philosophers and astronomers. And they come and they, you follow you follow the star, and you come to the logos incarnate. And I think this is this is a paradigm. Uh, it predates the Islamic conquest by uh, half a millennium, and I think it's 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 perdured to this day, largely through poetry, but through this this uh, Persian sensibility that is not Arabic. It's not Arabic. Uh, they they've tried to make their accommodation with. Uh, 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 the Quran, by, but the, their, their Islam, uh, Shia Islam, is peculiar to them and uh, considered heretical by the Sunni majority. 
And so they've never they've never really had a comfortable fit. And so I'm saying, look, hold that thought is- right there. Hold that thought. We are up against a network break. We're talking with E. Michael Jones, culturewars.com is his website. He's got an article there we're talking about Iran. More on that coming up next. Hey, Donnie, when we see Christ on the cross, what do we call that? A crucifix. And who said, preach Christ and Him crucified? St. Paul. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your only daughter met a fine young man who was a committed Mormon. She now wants to join his church. What's your answer? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a reason for no. Doctrinal positions such as the deity of Jesus and the Trinity. Your reason for yes. You deem seemingly moral character as superseding biblical truth. Secondly, orthodoxy. Your answer is probably no. But how and why? Your resistance to Mormon doctrine does not just come straight down from the Bible. It comes from the first five centuries of brilliant theologians, bishops, and popes. These Catholics wrote, debated, and fought for truth. Example, in 250 AD, 311, and 417, three different popes excommunicated three different heretics, Sibelius, Arius, and Pelagius. They denied the Trinity, the eternal deity of Jesus, or taught that human effort warranted salvation. Would your pastor excommunicate a heretic? Well, unfortunately, your pastor can only remove someone from his local congregation. But that's okay. That guy will probably end up being welcomed at a church down the street. Be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. E. Michael Jones is our guest. Uh, CultureWars.com. He's got an article that says, uh, The Magi, the Hijab Crisis, and Iran's Divided Soul. It was published on the 8th of December. You should check it out. Great article. I, I keep going back to 99% of the time, we are told what lens to look at Iran through. You know, the United States, foreign intelligence and the Saudi lens. But there's another one, too. I was just thinking about the, the Israeli lens. We were told to look at Iran through these lenses. And uh, we can't really get a, a proper and true understanding of how to think about Iran and, and their relationship to, to their uh, neighboring countries, to ourselves and to the rest of the world. And I thought uh, E. Michael Jones' article was doing a good job sort of cracking through all of that and giving us some more information. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Jones. So you, we, were, you. we were talking about uh, the, these sort of the, the, the culture of the Persians versus everyone else, really. Um, but I keep coming back to this idea that, again, we're, we are told what to look at and how to think of it. Like, so you got the hijab in these recent protests. You got the hijab versus liberal feminism. There's like no medium. There's no, there's no other way to look at that. I mean, how do you see it? Do you think that if they throw off the hijab in Iranian society, this will free women and everything is going to get better? Do you think they'll find balance do you th- or do you think they're going to go to an extreme? What say you? No, they'll end up like uh, the West. Well, why, would they, why would it happen any differently? Uh, I'm, t- I'm, I'm trying to address the ladies uh, in Iran. I've done this before. I've spent, uh, traveled around the country, talked at universities, and uh, tried to bring up the idea of, of Logos as a way of mediating here by saying there, there's a Logos to everything. And we have, we're rational creatures, and so we can figure it out. There's a Logos to sexuality. We can figure that out. I think if we think about it, we can understand that there's a contradiction here between 
taking birth control pills and wearing the, the, the hijab. There's a contradiction there that I think human reason can resolve. And I'm saying, basically, let's take a step back right now. You, you've got a completely polarized situation where the, the, the Western image of liberation has been imposed on the hijab. Okay. And it's the taking off the hijab is a revolutionary act. That, that, that's, that's what it is. The lady who's in charge of the CIA operation is uh, her name is Aladinajad. She's got big, big head of frizzy hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's not the woman that you see because that woman's dead. So dead men tell no tales. But this is the lady. This is the voice of the CIA. And the CIA is telling the ladies, take off your hijab and you will be happy. And you'll be, look, look at all the happy people in the West. Well, I'm saying, no, yeah, let's look at these people in the West. Look at the women who have followed this path and uh, ask your, ask them if they're happy. Ask what happened to Catholic women. Uh, they did something similar uh, in a minor way when they removed the veil. Remember, people used to wear a veil when they went to church. Uh, that that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, I don't know whether there are direct consequences, but I know there are direct consequences from the basically the corruption of Catholic religious orders that took place during the 1960s when all the nuns became feminists and all the 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 feminist nuns started preaching sexual liberation to the Catholic girls in their Catholic schools in places like the suburbs of Philadelphia or where I I grew up, where I went to school. And those people, those women, those Catholic women started acting out what those feminist nuns were telling them. And uh, to a large extent, they wrecked their lives. And now we're stuck with this group, uh, the the election in Pennsylvania. Catholics always determine the election in Pennsylvania. And I think they did this time. but, But which Catholics are we talking about? We're talking about Catholic women who have had abortions. Once you, once you, once you do that, you now uh, have taken on a new religious identity. I'm, I'm saying, obviously, you can repent and go to confession. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the people who make a political cause through the Democrat, Democratic Party with abortion, and they are the people that got Josh Shapiro elected. Josh Shapiro, uh, because I'm saying, what we found out just recently is abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. 140 Jewish organizations said that if they said it, it must be true. What happens to these Catholic ladies when they have abortions? They become Jewish. And how do we know they become Jewish? Because they vote like Jews and they elect people like Josh Shapiro and a guy named Fetterman who couldn't even put two sentences together because he had brain damage. These, I'm telling the the ladies in Iran, take a step back because I'm coming from the future. And I will tell you what will happen to you if you take the hijab off and you engage in the CIA-directed coup that is determined to destroy your country. What? Where does Islam stand on this uh, abortion issue and contraception issue? Islam does not have a consistent position on on anything sexual. I had a debate with a, a mullah in Qualm about human sexuality. It's clear he doesn't understand anything. Uh, he said uh, he came up with this statement in the middle of the debate. Just because you start a Coke doesn't mean you have to finish a Coke. And I'm thinking, what did that mean? <laughs> and at this point, the cameraman jumped in. The cameraman knew more about sex than the mullah. Well, there, uh, you, you, you can go to Quam and you can get a one-day marriage. 
Wow. What does that say about human sexuality? I know yeah. a woman who got a one-year marriage. I wow. said, well, what happens if you get pregnant? Who's going to raise the child after the year expires? This is totally contradictory. There's no consistent position on sexuality among among the mullahs. And that's part of the discussion that has to take place in Iran if we want to back away from the abyss. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. And I notice I notice this to be to be true. And uh, the conservatives will often say, well, we know we can or I guess the, the a lot of Christians, a lot of Catholics will say we can ally ourselves with Muslims and Jews in regard to the abortion question because they are pro-life as well. But they neither the Jews nor the Muslims have a consistent view on this topic at all. Uh, but the question I have for you is going back to the, the question of feminism. Uh, what would you say to someone who responds and says, well, you know, I agree feminism is bad and resulted in all these evils, but, you know, this is at least better than the uh, the abuse of women in, in these Muslim countries where women are killed and things like that. Uh, how would you what would you respond to and that accusation or that response? I'm saying that the the the, the CIA threat is causing a draconian reaction. That's precisely the problem here, okay? And I'm saying what we need to do is step back from the crisis. Let's let the crisis calm down a little bit so we can have a reasonable discussion and come to some type of reasonable conclusion about this where we're not being stampeded either to take the CIA position or take the the uh, the is the extreme Islamicist position that has led us into this crisis in the first place. You're going to have to have, you're going to have to, we're going to have to listen to the broad majority. Let's put it this way. The silent Persian majority who have, when, when these people go, I've been to the, the mosque. These people go to the mosque. They are worshiping God as they understand him. That's not a bad thing. That is part of their culture. We have to honor that culture, but we have to be willing to say you're in, you're at an impasse. You painted yourself into a corner right now with the hijab crisis. Now, the question is, how do you get out of that problem? How do you get out of that corner now that you painted yourself into it? Pursuing this by executing people, I don't see as a productive way of, of proceeding. Now, I'm, I'm admitting here that taking off the hijab is just like not like taking off your hat. This is a, is a revolutionary act, and we know how our government deals with threats that are not revolutionary acts, like the January 6th so-called insurrection. Okay, so we have no no basis to simply lecture these people about things like democracy when we don't have it to begin with. We have nothing but 50 years now of the sexual subversion of the basis of the moral basis of our culture, leading to unprecedented forms of tyranny, not just here, but in Europe as well. So we have no basis to lecture them. I'm trying to say there is a possibility. The possibility is called Logos, and we need to have a discussion that will allow this uh, majority to articulate its position as Persians. Uh, yes, I'd like to uh, explore that a little bit with you, uh, Dr. Jones. You know, um, you you uh, talked about the the history of of the Persians before the break there. And I'm wondering, you know, uh, you have to have this conversation, it's true, but how do you see it playing out? How does Logos play out in Iran in the next 20 to 25 years? Do you, do you anticipate anything changing? Do you anticipate them returning to, uh, to uh, more of a Persian identity? Yes, I think it has to happen. 
I think the man, the man of the hour is President Ahmadinejad. I think he was prevented from running for office by the by the supreme leader. I think this was a mistake. I think there's too much overreach now in terms of what the uh, mullahs uh, uh, of their control of the society. There is an element of autonomy that the political process should have. And I think President Ahmadinejad can articulate these this Persian identity. He is a Persian nationalist. He is a, has an understanding of the people, the needs of the people. When he was a mayor of Tehran, he provided dowries for poor women uh, so that they could get married. This is the type of person that needs to step in and mediate between the two extremes. Because if you don't have a mediator, you're going to swing back and forth once again. So once again, okay, are you ready, ladies? Are you ready for the next CIA revolution? Are you ready? The, the classic example of what I'm talking about is I just, as I'm pondering this, I get an email. I'm uh, uh, Talk to Ms. So-and-so. She's an Iranian. She went and got to law school. She's a liberated lady. She's a role model for all the Iranian women. Oh, but guess what she's doing now? She's not practicing law anymore. She has an OnlyFans account. This is where it's heading, ladies. Take off your hijab, and then pretty much you're going to take off all the rest of your clothes, too, and you can have an OnlyFans account, and that's how you'll make money. Wow. That's no way to go. Mm. I'm saying there are other options here, and we have to explore those options in, in a kind of calm uh, reflective manner that bespeaks the, the really philosophical temperament of the Iranian people that has been suppressed for for uh, for the past for the past half century. Yeah, amen. We're just about out of time. Uh, e. Michael Jones, Culture War, CultureWars.com. That's CultureWars.com. The article is The Magi, The Hijab Crisis, and Iran's Divided Soul. Uh, e. Michael Jones, thank you for your time today. We're very grateful to you. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, that's going to do it for hour number one. If you can join us in the second hour, Dave Palmer's going to be our guest. We're going to be talking about the Summa Theologica. What did St. Thomas Aquinas teach about Christmas? I'm sure you're being told by coworkers, friends and family members, neighbors. It's all made up. Even December 25th, total fiction. Is it? Well, let's find out what St. Thomas had to say. All that and more, plus the game show. Don't forget, I'm giving away that prize on the email list. Go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt. And we'll see you back here on Monday morning. Planning on shopping online this year for Christmas? Did you know that you can help the Guadalupe Radio Network when you do your Christmas shopping online? All you need to do is shop on Amazon Smile and 0.5% of your purchase goes to the GRN. Just go to AmazonSmile.com and select La Promesa Foundation as your nonprofit of choice. La Promesa is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio. It's that simple to give some extra help to the Guadalupe Radio Network during the holiday season. I had a personal experience that was life-changing for me. My husband of 21 years decided to leave um, our family, me and my girls, and um, in the midst of the absolute horrible heartache, I happened to be flipping through the radio one day on the AM channel because I didn't feel like listening to music, and I happened to find Catholic Radio. And ever since then, I have been tuned in religiously, 
and I feel like I have a really, really strong pull to the Catholic faith. The Guadalupe Radio Network would like to thank those listeners who have supported Catholic Radio financially over the years so that we could be there when Terry needed us. If you would like to support your Catholic Radio station, please visit grnonline.com and you can click on the Donate Now button. Again, we sincerely thank you for helping us to be there for Terry and everyone else that needs God's love. There will come a day when each of us will be asked to review the movie of our life and give an account to God. We will sorrowfully relive the bad times and joyfully revisit the good. Thankfully, no matter what you've done, there is hope. Since Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. So if you've been away from church for a while, we invite you to come home and find the peace that only comes from God. Visit catholicscomehome.org. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox. Goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com forward slash C. Hi, I'm Father Ricardo Ariola from St. Bartholomew the Apostle. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Good morning. It's Friday. The weekend is here. Praise be to God. Hopefully it's good. I can't. I got to get back on my bike. I have not ridden the bike all week long. You know, and as somebody who identifies as a, a GoPro Red Bull sponsored uh, professional mountain bike adventurist. Oh, Red Bull sounds really good right now. It probably doesn't look good if I'm not riding the bike on a more frequent basis. So I, I got to get back on the bike. The tires are deflated. I mean, they're Cobwebs big. I, on them. I got the fat bike, so they're like massive tires. Could I mean, roll over the ooh, fat bike. Is that a bike for fat people? <laughs> uh, yeah, works for me. I mean, oh. the thing, ro- it's a tank. It rolls literally over everything. Do you drink a fat tire beer while you uh Is there such ride? a thing? Yeah, you've never heard of fat tire? Is that made of carb? Beer. Is that, it's I, like a red ale or something like that. Okay, unless it's made of meat product, I'm not allowed to have it. Oh, okay. It's yeah. made out of meat from plants. Like yeah, I can't have it. Stuff I'm, a, I'm on the carnivore mm, diet. Meat I'm not of grains? Allowed to have, not allowed to have anything that's not made from an animal. So oh. does uh, does this beer thing you speak of come from an animal? <sighs> yeah, no, it doesn't. Then I'm not allowed to have it. Bummer. 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 I'm hoping to sneak in a bike ride this weekend. Maybe today. That would be good. We'll see. We'll see. It's going to be kind of cold today, though. That's the perfect time. You better put the gloves on, you know, get chapped. No, I used to ride my bike out in California, like in the in the wintertime, back mm-hmm. when it gets like, you know, 50 degrees out there. Wow. Whew, what did cold. You guys, did you guys have to stop and make fires just to kind of warm up? or? Well, my, my whole, like, my knuckles would get mm-hmm. chapped and stuff. It was gnarly. Really? Yeah. Yeah, gnarly, eh? Is that what the Californians say? <laughs> totally, dude. Gnarly, dude. This is gnarly, <laughs> man. <laughs> now I'm getting it. Oh, I'm understanding man. You know, my soft hands, they just like were dude. destroyed, bro. I don't know about you going back to California. <laughs> I mean, like you're going to slip right back into your old ways. <laughs> Woo! I mean, it's going oh, to... You're going to come back to with it. a latte. Oh, wait. 
You're gonna yeah. come back. You're you gonna know. be in flip flops and t-shirt, t-shirt and shorts. I'm gonna like, oh, God, what's going on with My you? My family's man? like, we're so looking forward to seeing you. Are you excited? And I'm like They're talking like that. And I'm like, dude, I'm excited to go eat over there. I'm excited for all the restaurants <laughs> well, we that we're gonna go food to. Here, what is dude, your problem? <laughs> California Mexican food, it ain't it. Yeah. Uh, Mexican food in general, you can't get at a restaurant. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just as don't, uh, I don't believe you can. Do as it. supreme ruler of the universe, uh, just write me in in the next election. Um, I'm going to make sure that every state is required to open uh, new branches of Taco Cabana. Hmm. Uh, so that way we have superior Tex-Mex food Yikes. in all 50 states. Will you allow them to get margaritas at 8 a.m. in the morning? That's a good question. Uh, I'm going to have to ponder how I Whoops. think about that. I'll take a poll. I'll you know do some polling, and we'll see what uh, my constituents think. Oh, okay. And then we'll go from there. But Not a very good uh, emperor. <sighs> Taking no? polls and mm. doing what the people mm-hmm. want. Mm-hmm. Well, like my PR democracy. person suggested that I would need to take polls to, to get the, the pulse of the people. Ah, uh, you know? uh, but the rig. Okay, okay got it. Yeah, okay, I, yeah. I see what you mean. Joe is reelected this year again. Do do they have? Can you can you think of any good great Tex Mex in California? Like, did you there ever used to understand Tex Mex before? There used to be one, and it was named Chevy's. I understand. Was, I think some of them are still Pollo around. Loco? Was no. It? no, no. By the way, Pollo Loco here in Texas is horrible. So I think it was, <laughs> Pollo Loco, it's California, Pollo is good. Loco. It was it, whenever it first came to Texas, uh-huh. it was really good. Yeah, and yeah. then it became garbage. Yeah, this is and trash so here. we used to go like once a month or so. We used to go fairly frequently, and then one day mm. we went and got it, and we were like, well, this, "This is, is terrible." Different. Yeah, and we never went back. Yeah. yeah. It's like the what, onions, man. They use old a, onions. I feel it's like that what happens. The, it's what the kids say with um, no bueno. I feel like that happens a lot <laughs> with no fast bueno. food restaurants. Yeah. Is when the first these fast food restaurants first start, mm-hmm. they're actually not bad. Yeah. But then they like I guess they Space try to switch, save money, man. so they start they get you coming and then they're like, Okay, we're gonna yeah. cut the ingredients, we're gonna use switch. different things and Bait it's and not good anymore. No, it's not. Yeah, that's sad. Uh but speaking of which, uh, Dave Palmer, our good friend, uh host of Back to the Father, is on with us. Good morning to you, Dave. Super Dave, how are you? <laughs> Good morning. I was like, speaking of what? I mean, what is that segue? Um, speaking of El Polo Loco, what is your favorite Tex-Mex, <laughs> Dave? Do you have a favorite Tex-Mex? You know, there's there's actually a place here uh, locally where we are. I don't know if it's a chain or not. It's called Loopies. Oh, Loopies. they got the best. They got the best margaritas. My wife and I agree on that. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I, you know, I, I actually, you know, I, I like Taco Bueno. Are you okay? Yeah. I'm I'm kind of a, a low budget guy. It's, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I I'm pretty easy when it comes to food, and I'm not too picky. So I like most of them. Dave, you know, your but, wife is literally from Ireland, right? <laughs> My wife never had Mexican food until she came to America. <laughs> wow. she, she, she she didn't know the country of Mexico existed. I'm, I'm oh, kidding man. about that. No, I'm kidding. But they, they they don't have any Mexican food in, in Ireland. Yeah, I bet the Mexican food is probably like whenever I went to Poland and I had a went to a Mexican restaurant. It was the worst Mexican food I ever had in my life. But I had to go just like <laughs> yeah. I said I went. The best Mexican yeah. food I have ever had was in Rome. It was, what? It was no way. Fantastic. He's joking. Oh, no. no, it was good. No. I actually had a really good so burrito good. in Prague, which oh, man. I think it proves the theory. Yeah, you're so right. Good. Hey, speaking no, of... Actually, go ahead. I was going to say, the, I, I, somebody from Midland is going to correct me on this because uh, the best Mexican restaurant in the world is in Midland, Texas. Now, no way. The name what? of it is escape, Escaping Me, and somebody's going to text me and tell me what it is. But gosh, it it's every time I go there, Toya... Makes a point of saying, "Hey, you know, let's go to this restaurant." We sometimes, if I go there 
Oh gosh, I can't remember it, but it's 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 great. So yeah. brought to you by that restaurant. Yeah, praise be to God. God gave us so many graces: the church, the sacraments, and Mexican food. So let's uh, let's not waste the opportunity. Hey, let's talk about this. let's talk about Christmas. Uh, what does Saint Thomas Aquinas have to say about the feast day of Saint Christmas or Christmas? <laughs> what? It's Friday. I haven't had the margarita yet. What do you want from me? No, okay. Here's the interesting thing. There's, there's one. There's, you know, I got to kind of zoom in when we do this Back to the Father show, right? Because right. The, the Summa is so huge. So we're going to talk about one question in the Summa. It actually it's question 35. There's eight articles, and uh, it's called On Christ's Nativity, okay? It's, it's basically on Christmas, right? I heard you mentioning about the, the, the day of Christmas and December 25th. To my knowledge, Thomas never talks about that in the Summa, the, the exact date. But what's interesting, though, is in these eight articles, there are a couple of them that you would hear people calling in to Catholic Answers to ask about, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I can almost assure you that the hosts on Catholic Answers are using St. Thomas Aquinas's answer. So, for example... Uh, whether the Blessed Virgin should be called the Mother of God. Okay, that, that's a question that 750 years later, people are still, you know, asking. Can we call Mary the Mother of God? The Protestants and the Catholics don't always agree on that. Uh, whether Christ was born without his mother suffering. Okay, that's oftentimes when movies depict the, the birth of Christ, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes mm-hmm. they'll show her suffering, and that continues to be a debate. And then there's a couple articles that are I just find interesting. They're, 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 they're simple, like... Uh, why was Christ born in Bethlehem? Okay, that's something you might hear on Catholic Answers Live, or, you know, David Anders, or something like that. And then also, why was Christ born when he was born? Okay, why at that time in history, and not a thousand years earlier or a thousand years later? Okay, so those are four of the articles, and then the other four are like deep philosophical-type questions, you know? Does the nativity regard the nature or the person of Jesus? You know, that kind of thing. So you get a whole gamut, and it's, it's really interesting. Uh, it talks about Christ's temporal nativity, mm. uh, his filiations, that kind of thing. So there's really something for everybody in these eight articles. There's something for—but wait, there's more. Oh, yes, there's more. And if you act right now, we're going to throw all that in. Plus, uh, what was the most fascinating fact— from St. Thomas Aquinas in your book. If you had to choose only one that was the most incredible, impressive, what would that be? Uh, well, I, I think it's hard to pick, but I, I think that being born in a fitting time was interesting because you had, and of course I'm greatly paraphrasing here, but you know, if he had been born you know, at the time of Adam and Eve hmm. or you know, you, you had to build up, I guess you could say, the need. You know, the world had to fall into great sin. There had to be a need for a Savior. And and so the timing was perfect, of course, for him to be born. And then as far as the Mother of God, and this is something that you'd often hear people explaining on Catholic Answers Live, is that, you know, the, you had the hypostatic union of, you know, the, the nature, the God, the divine nature and the human nature in one person. And so Jesus was united in person and not in nature, and so Mary gave birth to a, a person. She gave birth to a, a united person of two natures, and so that, that person was God, and so she is the mother of God. And, and Thomas explains it in a really cool way, but they, those are two of the interesting things. You know, it's interesting to me, as yesterday I was reading uh, an article of the Summa, and when, uh, it was talking about whether or not it was fitting that God become man. And I was thinking, I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I don't, 
I don't think it is fitting that God would become man, right? Because God's so much more infinite than us. And then you're reading the objections, and Thomas is saying, oh, yeah, and the, uh, yeah, uh, of course, it's not fitting that God would become man because, uh, yeah, God is so much more infinite than us, and we're just mere humans. It would be terrible. It would be disgrace. And I'm like, how is... How is St. Thomas going to respond to this? And I'm like, this is, that's crazy. And he, uh, the first and foremost, we know it's fitting because God did it and God only does what is most fitting, right? But then he gives his arguments and I was just blown away. Are you going to address that in your, in today's talk? Uh, I think we're going to focus on these eight articles because, you know, we have such limited time. So, I mean, now we do a six hour show. (laughs) And I know sometimes you join us, uh, you know, for part or all the show, Adrian. So anything you bring up will automatically be part of the show as well. So if you want to bring up that topic, you can. We do have have CDT people that, you know, listen in the morning and then they join us in the afternoon. So we appreciate that very much. Yeah. So what would be the most controversial point in your show today? Oh, controversial point. Gosh, I, I don't, I don't know if there's uh, controversy. The suffering of Our Lady, maybe through through birth, possibly. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I think I, I think probably that, that's it because uh, like that the often, that's the way that's the way that it's depicted the in the films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. So Are you? I, I mean, you know. I, uh, now, I consider myself a film snob when it comes to depicting Our Lady. I will reject a film because they depict Our Lady improperly. I can somehow uh, uh, take a bad Jesus, but I can't take a ba- bad Mary for some odd reason. But nonetheless, that's where I'm at. Where are you at on that spectrum, Dave? Well, you know, I, I, I'm probably not as hardcore as you are, Joe. I mean, uh, not, not to open up a, a can of worms here, but like the, the Mary Did You Know song. I know, uh, horrible, I know right? Your, your it's the worst know song known to man. I know that's one of your favorite songs ever, uh, right? Okay, can you, can you and, hang up on him real quick? I wrote a, I wrote, I wrote a whole <laughs> article He's against go. Mary Did You Know <laughs> yeah. because my mom was uh, telling her, her kids, and she was helping with these, these kids at church, and that they were not going to sing Mary Did You Know in their Christmas thing, and they were like, the adults were very upset. My mom was like, Adrian, I need an argument to argue with these people, oh, and I, I don't know what to some. say. And I was like, don't you worry, don't Mom. You worry. So I sat there you and I wrote out a whole article against Mary yeah. Did You Know. You betcha. So... Yeah, See, I, I do. I do. That was a can of worms, but <laughs> you know, obviously, I, I think you make a good point because uh, you know our, 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 we we are to love and and uh, you know protect. I guess our ladies, you know, uh, the, the way people speak about her as much. So I think I'm sensitive to it as much. Maybe not as much as you, but uh, it's going to come up a lot in the show. But the patrimony the of the church was that our lady did not suffer the birth pangs. In fact, our Lord was miraculously delivered through her side not through the, n- the natural means. In fact, I was reading the early fathers just the other day, and that, that was mentioned. Yeah, and, and you know, now that you mention it, Joe, of course, we know that Our Lady's virginity was before the birth, during the birth, and after the birth as well. And so uh, Jesus was born without, and how, how, do I, how do I put it, without, not in the normal way. You know, yeah. he, he, there was no... Uh, how, how do we put it? There, there was no uh, rupturing. There was yeah. no. It, it was almost like light passing kind of, through was, a glass, possibly, maybe. Yeah, like he he was yeah. in, and then then he was out. Okay, and I, I think that is not something that everybody would believe would be the case. They they tend to think that Jesus was born in just kind of the typical way. Yeah. 
uh, that that the rest of us were, and and that certainly, as you mentioned, is not the the, the patrimony of the church and what to typically believe. But the, the 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 her virginity during birth is something that I think most people are not aware of, and I find it very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Well. Down to the wire here with Dave Palmer stirring up trouble, taking the uh, taking the I would argue the heretical position on Mary Did You Know song, uh, but nonetheless we love you all the same, Dave Palmer. The show is called Back to the Father, and it airs at one p.m. Central, two Eastern. You can find it by going to YouTube, searching for GRN Online, which we're streaming to live right now. Also on our Facebook page, you can find it there, GRN Online. Just go to the Facebook page, 1 p.m. Central, 2 Eastern, and you can uh, get to Dave's deep dive into all eight of these points, plus ask questions and interact uh, on Back to the Father. Dave Palmer, God bless you, and God love you, my friend. Thanks a lot, Joe. Good talking with you. Yeah, great to have you on. All right, so we're getting ready to go to Fear and Trembling, but I wanted to say before we do, do not forget to get in on the email list today because I'm giving out that Lego book on the Holy Mass. It is a beautiful book. If you got kids, you could win this. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT to get signed up for our email list, our insider email list. I'll send you that email later today. That's grnonline.com forward slash CDT. All right. After this break, it's Fear and Trembling. We're giving out that beautiful rosary today. It could be yours. Call 877-757-9424 right now. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. Why do Protestants not believe John 6 when it says that Jesus' flesh is real food and that his blood is real drink? I don't know. In Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22, Jesus says of the bread, this is my body. He says of the wine, this is my blood. Not this is symbolic of, or this represents. He says this is. In John 6, he repeats himself like he does nowhere else in Scripture to emphasize the fact that he expects us to eat his flesh and drink his blood and that his flesh is real food and that his blood is real drink. Anyone who says he is speaking symbolically and not literally simply is refusing to look at all the facts. Fact number one, the Jews took him literally. We see that in verse 52. Fact number two, his disciples took him literally. We see that in verse 60. Fact number three, the apostles took him literally. Verses 67 to 69. If everyone who heard heard him speak at the time took him literally then my question is why does anyone today 2000 years after the fact take him symbolically also in verse 51 of John 6 Jesus says that the bread which he will give for the life of the world is his flesh when did he give his flesh for the life of the world on the cross was that symbolic if you think Jesus is speaking symbolically here when he says that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood then you must also conclude that Jesus's death on the cross was only symbolic it wasn't really Jesus hanging up there. It was symbolic flesh and symbolic blood. Jesus is clearly talking about the flesh that he gave for the life of the world. He did that on the cross. Those who believe he is talking symbolically here in John 6 have a real problem when it comes to John 6, verse 51. Did Jesus give us his real flesh and blood for the life of the world? Or was it only his symbolic flesh and blood? A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation 
by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and fear and trembling. A Catholic trivia game show. God bless you. Don't you hate it when you just miss the sneeze? Oh, man. Gesundheit. With secrets and agendas. And a peanut gallery, apparently. Uh, but here, here's the deal. All right? So we have things we do quietly, behind the scenes. Nobody's supposed to know about them. It's all sneaky business. All right? So we're trying to totally manipulate you here. And I will tell you what we're doing if you don't share this with anybody else. Number one, we like to teach the faith. So we try to sneak in things for you to learn without even you realizing you're learning them. You see how that works? And then, of course, we give out prizes, which makes this a winner because not only are you going to learn, you're going to laugh, and you're going to win. Or you could, anyway. It's possible because the real secret sauce, okay, the real tricky business is we do not ask the caller the question. So they don't need to know. They may not know a single correct answer, but because instead of asking them, I'm going to ask Rudy, and I'm going to ask Adrian. One of them will have a correct answer. The other will have an incorrect answer. The caller will have 15 seconds to make a decision. Whomst do they trust more, Rudy or Adrian? And then when they get that right, they go into the coffee cup of Divine Providence to win this week's prize. And today's the day we're giving it out. Rudy, what could they win? It happens to be a handmade rosary. It is the most gorgeous rosary I've seen in a very long time, mm. made by a very dear listener. His name is Damon. Mm -hmm. I think it was made by his father. And Damon mm -hmm. says that every single link, if you're watching us on the live feed, you can see the rosary here in my hand. If not, I'll describe it to you. But he says every single link was handmade by his father. It's incredible. You know, I don't say this often. Heirlooms are hard to come by these days. Everything's cheap, mass produced, doesn't last very long. This is an heirloom quality rosary. Wow. And I, I just I want to petition the person who wins this rosary today. Mm -hmm. You have to at least pray, I don't know, 10, 25 rosaries. 25? For Damon and his family. I don't wow. know. Are we talking full rosaries, like all the mysteries, or just a set of five? All of the whole rosary 25 for, for their of holy of intent. Yeah, why not? It's, it's incredible. Well, it's a fantastic look, rosary. All the calls are dropping off. Thanks, Rudy. And it's made out of hematite. Two types. <laughs> oh, the Italian dolomite hematite. Didn't we That's right. establish exactly. that yesterday? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and ignore Damon's comments trying to debunk all of that. Praise be to just God. Just go with it. Thank yeah. you, Damon. All right. Praise be to God. All right. Thank you, Damon, for giving us such a beautiful gift to give away to one of our listeners today. Let's go to the phone. Ryan, good morning to you. Good morning. Praise be to God, Ryan. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from the cold, cold city of Abilene. Abilene. Oh, the panhandle's Abilene, on the board. Texas. Praise be to God. Trying to stay warm, boys. Trying to stay warm. Uh, Abilene is such a beautiful part of Texas up near, near Caprock Canyon. I just found out there was a wild herd of buffalo roaming Caprock. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm not sure they let you eat them, but boy, maybe that would be someday. That would be a pretty good thing to do. Uh, nonetheless, Ryan, yeah. it's good to have you on. Where, what church do you go to? Uh, I go to Holy Family. Holy Family. Well, we're grateful you're here. Do you, do you understand how this game works, sir? I do, and I got one question. Okay. 
is Adrian wearing a tie. Whoa, Adrian, he always wears a tie. Adrian does wear a tie. Unlike his dad, he always wears a tie. Okay, I think we're in good hands then. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I I see how this game's going to (laughs) go. Oh, yeah. All right, Ryan, well, let's do this thing. We'll start with uh, uh, Rudy, as is our custom, our patrimony, our church-approved tradition. Good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Already in California mode, I see, with your turtleneck today. <laughs> Going all that, Steve Jobs on us, are is you? Is that a California thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know any Texans that do that, but okay. You guys okay. don't wear turtle. I guess I've never seen anybody wear a turtleneck. Right? Well, it's... <laughs> yeah, we don't, Even though it is Houston, yeah. you'd expect to see somebody with I a don't... I, no. Mm-mm, not a thing in wow. Texas. But nonetheless, are you ready? I am ready. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> okay. If you say so. Can you tell me who poured oil upon Saul's head and declared him ruler? It was a fellow by the name of Sam. Really? Samuel. Samuel. Yeah. That's going to be your answer. That is my answer. That's what you're going with. 100%. All right. Well, let's see here. Adrian, I know that you are an expert in pouring oil. Ah, um, I've seen yes. the posts on Twitter, so it must be true. Um, mm-hmm. Could you tell me who poured oil upon Saul's head and declared him king of the Jews? Oh, wow. Yeah. That, would, that was actually Pontius Pilate. Was it? Yes. Really? He said, you are now the king of the Jews. Wrote it out on a, had it written on a plaque. Really? Put it on a piece of wood. King of the Jews. The King of the Jews. Wild. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, Ryan and Abilene, uh, whom do you believe more? Adrian with his Pontius Pilate or Rudy <laughs> with his Samuel? 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Ryan, what say you? Well, I come from the great state of Texas, which is the oil capital of the world. So <laughs> I'm going to go with Rudy. I'm kind of an expert on that one. <laughs> Duh! Duh! Woo! Amen, Preach it. Now, uh, Ryan, truth in advertising, do you wear turtlenecks? Never. <laughs> see what I'm saying? <laughs> Dang it. And if they don't wear an abilene, <laughs> then it's not a Texas thing. <laughs> Texans it. don't wear uh, turtlenecks. Rudy, hey, what's wrong with you? Ryan, let me tell you, buddy, yeah. you'd be a lot warmer if you had one. No, <laughs> stop it. Stop. <laughs> uh, don't listen to him, Matt. Uh, Ryan. Don't listen. All right, we're going to go with question number two. We're going to start with Adrian first on this one. And uh, again, I can see how Adrian would know this. Oh. Uh, being expert in sinful acts. Oh. Uh, advanced degree, some would say. One in might sin-ology. say. This is true. Uh, could you tell me, may a sinful act be committed to accomplish a good? Well, you know, as someone who identifies as an expert on sin, yeah. um, mm-hmm. I commit it all the time. <laughs> uh, not proud of it. But nonetheless, I will say no. Of course not. You may never commit a sinful act in order to make good may come of it. Also known as mm-hmm. the means, the ends does not justify the means. Mm-hmm. Sus, some would say. Sus. All right. Let's just see what Rudy says. Rudy? <laughs> what are you laughing at, buddy? <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's funny the, when you say things like uh-huh. sus. Sus. Huh? Okay. okay. Why? No Turtle, cap. Say no First, cap. it's the turtleneck. Base? Second, no it's eating fresh cut grass at your local baristas. You, know, you don't eat it. You latte. drink it, Joe. Come okay. on. My bad. All right. Can you tell me, may a sinful act be committed to accomplish a good? Absolutely. According to the Code of Canon Law, mm-hmm. specifically only in this case, though. It's, I see. If you're buying things from a pawn shop, yeah. it's Canon 4556. Okay. You're allowed to circumnavigate, circumvent Circum- all of those... You know, those things that, uh, you know, are absolutely stolen, Uh but they're being resold, Uh so you can buy them. Uh 
I have no idea what you just said, but your answer was yes? Yes, you okay. can. All right, Ryan, you got options. Is it yes that sinful acts can be committed to bring about a greater good, or is it no, as Adrian says, the ends don't justify the means? 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Ryan, what say you? All right, tell Adrian to stand up, straighten up that tie, pump his chest out, because he can be proud because he is right. Go, <laughs> 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 <So> Brandon. <laughs> that was like a quadruple downing on that one. I mean, hey, Ryan, you know, just by, by the very merit of you saying that, you become wiser, stronger, faster, <laughs> more attractive. I, I don't uh, your know. Your IQ just, like, spiked. It's insane. I, yeah, yeah. I, younger, you're younger, too. All Thanks, these things happen Ryan. just by saying, go, Adrian. Ryan, I think you need a 12-step program. I, first thing is to admit your fault, good sir. Hi, I'm Ryan. I think Adrian's cool. I don't know. Just you got to work on that, brother. All right, but you, nonetheless, you are correct, and so is Adrian. Uh, no, you cannot commit a sinful act to accomplish a good. The ends do not justify the means. Uh, let's see if we can't get you in there for a perfect score today. It's going to get more tricky this time. Back to Rudy. Rudy, can you tell me what term refers to the exceptional gifts which were lost by Adam and Eve? Yeah, you know, people have argued about this for a long time. It's actually super substantial gifts. Really? Super substantial, yeah. Uh, I see. They're so transcendent, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. They're super substantial. They're yeah. super substantial, you say. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Adrian, uh, could you tell me what term refers to the exceptional gifts which were lost by Adam and Eve? Yes, that would be a preternatural gifts. Preter meaning beyond natural. Mm-hmm. So Peter? something that's beyond natural. Mm-hmm. So preternatural mm-hmm. gifts. Mm. All right, uh, Ryan, you got choices. Is it preternatural gifts, as Adrian says, or super substantial gifts, as Rudy says? 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Ryan, what say you, good sir? Man, that's a tough one, but you know what? If I'm going to throw the 50 50 coin toss, I'm going to go with my man Adrian. Of course. See, Ryan, wise, smart, smart, a genius of a man. I'm praying clearly, for your soul, sir. Clearly. He's probably I'm strong. I'm going to have to offer he could bench 300. rosaries for his salvation. Easy bench 300. 300 is an easy day go. for him. Ryan, right. I already know it. Yeah. I have one right here in my hand. All right. It is Leslie. Leslie! I don't have my cowbell. Hey, Ring them cowbells. I'm sorry, my friend. It was not God's holy will that you should win. Maybe it's because you chose Adrian too many times. I don't know, but who am I to judge? You know what I'm saying? Who am I to judge? You know what? I I had fun anyway, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, God bless you, Ryan. Thanks for calling, Ryan. Yeah. Abilene, I love that place. Praise be to God. Stay away from the turtlenecks. Have a great day, Ryan, and have a great weekend, good sir. That's going to do it for the, the radio side of our program today. Thank you all for having a laugh and a good time. And and everything else. If you can join us in the after show, we'd love to chat with you directly. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. While you're there, sign up to our email list so that you could possibly win that Lego book on the Holy Mass. Fantastic resource for your family. You could win a free copy. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Sign up for the email list of the insiders. God bless you. God love you. We'll see you on Monday. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you.
Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass, live from Our Lady of Corpus Christi, home of the Salt community. For more information, visit salt.net or ourladyofcorpuschristi.org. Today we celebrate Friday of the third week of Advent. This holy sacrifice of the Mass is being offered for all those listening in on the Guadalupe Radio Network and all of our online viewers. Please join in singing our opening song, O Come Divine Messiah. O come, divine Messiah, the world in silence waits the day when hope shall sing its triumph and sadness flee away. Dear Savior, haste, come, come to earth, dispel the night and show your face and bid us hail the dawn of grace. O come, divine Messiah, the world in silence waits the day when hope shall sing its triumph and sadness flee away. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Brethren, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault, Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. May your grace, almighty God, always go before us and follow after so that we who await with heartfelt desire the coming of your only begotten Son may receive your help both now and in the life to come. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, Observe what is right, do what is just, for my salvation is about to come, my justice about to be revealed. 
Blessed is the man who does this, the son of man who holds to it, who keeps the Sabbath free from profanation and his hand from any evil doing. Let not the foreigner say, when he would join himself to the Lord, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, ministering to him, loving the name of the Lord, and becoming his servants, all who keep the Sabbath free from profanation and hold to my covenant, them I will bring to my holy mountain and make joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the dispersed of Israel. Others I will gather to him, besides those already gathered. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O God, let all the nations praise you. O God, let all the nations praise you. May God have pity on us and bless us. May he let his faith shine upon us. So may your way be known upon the earth, among all your nations, your salvation. O God, God, let let all all the the nations nations praise you. May the nations be glad and exult, because you rule the peoples in equity, the nations on the earth you guide. O God, let all the nations praise you. The earth has yielded its fruits. God, our God, has blessed us. May God bless us, and may all the ends of the earth fear him. O God, God, let let all all the nations nations praise praise you. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. that we may rejoice before you with a perfect heart. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the Jews, You sent emissaries to John, and he testified to the truth. I do not accept testimony from a human being, but I say this so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and for a while you were content to rejoice in his light. But I have testimony greater than John's. The works that my Father gave me to accomplish, these works that I perform testify on my behalf that the Father has sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, during this Advent season, we have been looking forward to the second coming of our Lord Jesus, remembering it, calling it to mind, stirring up our desire for his second coming, and then especially over the past week, examining ourselves, especially through the example and the message of John the Baptist, 
to ask ourselves, are we ready? Are we ready? Are we prepared for Christ's second coming so that it may indeed be a moment of joy for us and not something worse? And today I think our readings lead us to ask ourselves two questions in that self-examination. The first is from the Gospel reading. We hear Jesus say, John was a burning and shining lamp, and for a while you were content to rejoice in his light. Now perhaps what Jesus means to say here is that those who heard John were interested in what he had to say, enjoyed listening to him, perhaps did not put it into practice, and it just faded away. We know this is a regular theme in Scripture. St. James in his letter talks about the possibility of being someone who hears but does not do, like someone who goes and looks in a mirror and then just walks away and forgets what he looked like and doesn't do a thing about it. Where Jesus talks about how the foolish man is, who, is, is one who, like someone who builds his house on sand, is one who hears his word but does not act upon it. And so it may be that you or I have in some way been hearing Christ's word to us during this Advent season. Perhaps there's some sinful action that we've been doing and he's been saying to us, why don't you stop? Stop it, leave it behind. Some sinful action or some bad habit? Why don't you change your ways? Why don't you let it go? Why don't you let yourself be free from that and better able to welcome me? Or perhaps it's an invitation to begin something, some act of love, act of loving prayer for God perhaps an act of love for a neighbor or a family member. He's saying, why don't you begin this? Begin to give love and mercy in this way. And if that's the case, then I urge you not to just listen to that and then walk away, but to put it into practice. Not just let it be a light that is there temporarily, but one that you take into your heart and into your life. The second thing, we can ask ourselves comes from the first reading. For there we hear twice about the Lord welcoming foreigners to him, but speaking especially how they keep the Sabbath free from profanation. We hear that phrase twice. And we know that keep holy the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. And that the ancient Sabbath is fulfilled in the Lord's Day, in Sunday, in the New Covenant, when we join together with others and we celebrate our Lord's resurrection and the beginning of the new creation. And we know that to thus to fulfill, to keep holy the Sabbath, first of all, we need to attend Mass on Sunday. You may have heard it said, there are 168 hours in the week. Can you not give one back to God? Certainly that is essential to make sure that we join with the Lord and with his people in Mass every Sunday. But that's not all. We know the Sabbath is also meant to be a day of rest. The Catechism talks about how on this Sabbath, on the Sunday, we need to worship God. We need time for proper relaxation of mind and body. We need to cultivate our family relationships, our relationships with our friends, our relationship with God. We also need time to do works of mercy for others, to look for chances to respond to their needs, whether those be bodily or spiritual needs. And therefore, that we need to refrain from any kind of work that would interfere with those purposes of the Sabbath. 
Now perhaps you say to me, Father, I wish I could. But you know, the job that I have is the only job I can get. They required me to work on Sunday. I have to do it to support my family. And if that's your situation, then God bless you. And I hope that before long, he'll show you a different way. But how good that you work that job to support your family. But maybe you hear that and you think, well, that's not actually my situation. I'm not forced to work on Sunday in that way. Not like my neighbor that you're describing. I don't have to, but I do anyway, for other reasons. If so, we may ask whether in so doing, you're acting like a slave to work, or whether you're worshiping money, and whether the Lord is inviting you to take a day away. Maybe the other six days you could be a slave to work, but not that day. That day you can remember who you are, who he has made you to be, who he has brought you into relationship with him to be, and welcome him into your heart in a special way, one day a week. Brothers and sisters, you and I are preparing ourselves to celebrate our Lord's first coming. We're preparing ourselves to welcome him in his second coming. How important that we welcome him, as so many saints have said, in that other coming, when he comes to us each day invisibly. We welcome him into our hearts. So we're ready to welcome him when he comes again and ready to celebrate his first coming when we come very soon to Christmas Day. Let us pray to the Lord, asking him to show us his face and save the whole human family. For the Holy Church of God, that she may always imitate the believing attitude of Mary, who through her humility pleased the Lord, and through her obedience repaired the disobedience of Adam. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For all people, that they may come to believe in Christ, and discover in him the definitive manifestation of God. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For those who live in sadness, that the coming of Christ may be the beginning of joy and hope. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For all of us, that in the trials of life, we may be able to see God present and saving. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. O Lord, whose kingdom is already in our midst, we ask that you hear the prayer of your people and grant that we may be able to find you and hope in you in all the events of this life. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our offertory song is Ready the Way. Ready the way of the Lord. Ready out in the wilderness ready the way of the Lord here is your God coming with your vindication look and behold the Savior of God. Here is your God. 
brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. Be pleased, O Lord, with our humble prayers and offerings, and since we have no merits to plead our cause, come, we pray, to our rescue with the protection of your mercy. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For he assumed at his first coming the lowliness of human flesh, and so fulfilled the design you formed long ago and open for us the way to eternal salvation. That when he comes again in glory and majesty, and all is at last made manifest, we who watch for that day may inherit the great promise in which now we dare to hope. And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory, as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, plenis uncelli terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it 
and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. We proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin, and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity 
in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. On you stay, quitolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. On you stay, quitolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. On you stay, quitolis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, Lord I am, am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our mortal bodies to conform with his glorified body. For those who cannot receive sacramental Holy Communion at this time, we pray the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Jesus, we adore Thee, who in Thy love divine conceal Thy mighty Godhead in forms of bread and wine. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment. 
Let us pray. Replenished by the food of spiritual nourishment, we humbly beseech you, O Lord. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Transmitting the treasures of our Catholic faith to your radio every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, I'm Jenny Granero from the St. Cecilia Catholic Community. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, Radio for Your Soul. <laughs> 